Okay, if you'll take your bulletin, you'll find an insert there this morning of God's law, the Ten Commandments. That will be one of our scripture readings for this morning. So if you'll take that out and let us stand together for the reading of God's Word. And first of all, the law, then we'll go to the book of Revelation. And uh, I'll read the introduction and commandment number one. Congregation respond with two. And we just go back and forth. To we get down to the end where Jesus said, hear also these words, and we'll say that all in unison. Hear now the law of God. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor to all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughters, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. On six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he saith, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now if you will take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 10 and 20, although I'm not preaching from that whole section this morning. But uh, Revelation 1, 10 through 20 will be our, our uh, scripture lesson for this morning. It's on page 1203 if you're using the church Bible there. Okay. Well, let's hear the word of God now as it's recorded for us in John's Revelation. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, 
to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. At his hair, excuse me, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. May God give his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, We thank you that we have the book of Revelation. We thank you that it can strengthen us in the faith in the time in which we live, just as it did in the days in which John the Apostle lived, the original churches that received it in Asia. We pray that you will strengthen us today in the faith and reveal to us the truths that we need to know, that we need to meditate upon, in order to maintain a stable life in the midst of a rapidly changing world and uh, not always changing for the better, often for the worse. Especially we see much going on in our society today that is going in the wrong direction. Sometimes even Christians are dismayed by what we see, what we hear. But we thank you that the message of this book is that Jesus Christ is in the midst and uh, he knows everything there is to know about our situation and us. And he has us in his hand, in his right hand. Bless this uh, message this morning that it may feed us and strengthen us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The uh, title of my sermon this morning is The Lord or the King of the Church. I wasn't exactly sure which way to go with it, so I'm not putting both in. (laughs) The Lord and King of the Church. And my text is basically going to be verses 12 uh, through 16 for this morning. The King of the Church. The Lord of the Church. 
Many people, even within Christendom, don't really know who Jesus is. Do you realize that? The Bible, God's Word written, teaches very clearly that Jesus of Nazareth was God incarnate, that is, God in the flesh. And in the past year since I've been here, I've tried to put before you over and over again the several scriptures, the several scripture locations that undergird our belief in the deity or the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he was not just a man, um, even a very good man, but that he was God in the human flesh. That is the Christian claim. That is the claim of the New Testament scriptures. And that is what Christ claimed to be. And I've tried to put that before you because that is the essential, that is the most fundamental claim of the Christian faith. Without believing that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, one cannot be a Christian in the true sense of that term. I have said that if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, then why bother? Let us go and do something else with our lives. If he is not who he claimed to be, you say, well, I need to be religious. Well, that's up to you. You can be religious if you want to. But if Jesus Christ is not who he claimed to be, myself, I wouldn't see much need for any religion. My feeling would be something akin to Paul's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, he's talking about the resurrection there, but he says, if Christ be not risen, your faith is futile or in vain. In other words, it's empty. There's nothing to it if Christ be not risen from the dead. You might as well forget it. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not risen, your faith is futile, and so let us eat and drink, for after all, tomorrow we die, just like everybody else. Well, I say the same thing about Christ's claim to be the Son of the living God. If Christ be not who he claimed to be, our faith is futile, our faith is in vain. We might as well forget it and quit trying to act religious and just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. See, no reason not to. You can argue with me if you want to about that, but uh, Paul said it, and I kind of feel the same way. In Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John is in exile on the island called Patmos in the Aegean Sea. And why is he there? He is there because of his faithfulness to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, which we looked at last week, I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he is there. And there on Patmos, the risen Jesus makes himself known to his servant John. It's the Lord's day, he says. And John first hears a loud voice, like a trumpet, like a trumpet call, commanding him to stand down and, excuse me, to to write it down in a book. Write down in a book what you see, verse 11. 
what you see right in a book. He turned around to see who it was speaking to him. And in short, John saw the Lord. He saw the king of the church in all of his glory and all of his sovereignty. You have that description of his clothing there. Uh, he was in the... Uh, it was one like a son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about with chest with a golden band. He had on the garments of royalty and the garments of priesthood. He had the look of majestic dignity. Verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He could see into the very souls of his people and of his churches. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters, like the roar of great breakers crashing against the shore in a great storm. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. But first of all, before he saw any of that, he saw the seven golden lampstands, he tells us in verse 12. What are those uh, seven golden lamps? As we're told in verse 20, in verse 20, the seven golden lampstands you saw are the seven churches. And the churches are named, uh, again, one more time. Um, there are churches in Asia, seven real congregations that existed at the time. Real churches, just, just like ours. And they are... Uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven of them, and seven is the number of completion in Scripture. So these seven congregations represent a complete picture of the needs of the church through all time. In covering these seven church, seven letters that we're going to be getting into here in a few weeks, you're going to see that these letters address needs they're always there in the life of God's churches, God's people throughout all of time. The lamp is God's word. He calls them lamp. He saw seven golden lampstands. A lampstand holds a lamp. The lamp is God's word, which is a shining light. And God's congregations are to hold up the word of God and never let it go out. Never let it down. Never hide it under a basket. Never put it away somewhere under cover because the world might not like it. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light upon our path. Psalm 119, 105. That's true of the individual believer. God's word shines that light on our path through life as a lamp. It guides our way. That's why we need to spend time in God's word, because it shows us the way. And oh, how we need the guidance of God's word in this dark and dangerous world that we're living in today. Never before, at least in my lifetime, 
have I known a time when believers need to be in the Word of God as today? We need to be reading it, studying it, meditating, praying over memorizing it. The redeemed Christian needs that light to know how to live in times of trouble and tribulation. Lost worldlings need that light also. They need the light of God's Word if they would be saved from sin and have eternal life. How are they going to find out about it? We must shine the light of God's Word out across our community and into out across the world to all nations. And so our Lord said to His disciples when He was here on earth, so let your light shine before men that they may see. Every believer is to live in the light of God's Word and shine that light in their lives for the glory of the Father and for the salvation of others. And I know it's a rough world out there. I've been out there. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily have to live in it like perhaps some of you do. You know, some of you have very rough workplaces to go to. You work with very rough and ungodly people. And you're around them and you see their attitudes and you hear their speech. You see their conduct all week long. And it's not pleasant sometimes uh, to be at work in some of these places, some of these environments. I know what it's like because I used to be there. Currently, um, in my position in life, I, I no longer have to spend much time in that kind of an environment, but I have been there. Uh, I did work my way through college. I worked in among union men. I heard the foul talk all day long. Later on, I got a part-time job in a union factory, and there I discovered that... Uh, by 1990, even the women were beginning to use the foulest kind of language possible, imaginable, uh, which was not, I didn't hear much of in the 70s, but in 20 years it got to be where now the even the women in the factories were talking uh, like the men. And to me it sounded worse because it was coming from women, uh, not men. Um, and so I know it's really bad out there. And the world needs the light, though. It needs the light. And you need to be the light. God wants you to be the light where you're at, where he's placed you in this world. And let that light shine. And that means that we show patience with people. We show God's love and mercy to them. And when we have an opportunity, it also means that we let them know about our salvation We let them know about the way of salvation for them. And we may invite them even even to church to hear the word of God and to hear the gospel of our salvation. But we need to let that light shine for the glory of God and the salvation of others. And every congregation is to be a lampstand for the truth and the light of God's word. Every congregation is to be like that. When a church no longer holds forth God's word, it becomes useless to God. It becomes worse than useless. And no longer does it deserve to exist. And hence, in the warnings that we're going to be reading in chapters 2 and 3 to the churches there, the seven churches, 
Um, those warnings are there because it's possible for a congregation to, well, what, what should we say, hide the Word of God, uh, disbelieve the Word of God, no longer hold to the Word of God. And you say, well, how can that happen? How can a church that was once orthodox, that once held to the very Word of God, and once preached the gospel, become, maybe just a couple of generations later, a totally apostate congregation? But it can happen. It can happen. There are congregations in this very city that at one time were at least in the main orthodox. I'm not saying they were, they were reformed, but in terms of, uh, the, the main teachings of the Bible and of the creeds of the church, they held to those truths. But they no longer do. They no longer do. They may put on a pageant. They may put on a show, a religious show, but they don't really hold to the truth because we, we know that from the things their denominations hold to and propagate the false teaching that they propagate in the world today and even in our community. So a church that was once orthodox, a church that was one time true, a congregation that believed God's word can drift off. And within a couple of, a couple of generations become apostate. It even happens to reformed churches. Do you know? Now, you know, gladly, happily, the Reformed Church in the United States is not one of them yet. I pray it never will be. But do you know, there are reformed, other reformed denominations in our country, or at least they still have the name reformed. They still have the name. They're not really any more reformed, but they have the name. Who have, you wouldn't recognize as a reformed church if you would attend a service there. So it can even happen to a congregation that was one time reformed, but then drifted with the, the teaching of the world. So John said, I saw seven golden lampstands. That's what a church is. It's a lampstand. But what else did John see on the Lord's day? Verse 13 says he saw one like a son of man. This was a vision of the risen and glorified Lord Jesus. The New King James Version is right in capitalizing the designation Son of Man because it is a term of deity or divinity. Son of Man was Christ's favorite designation of himself. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's what he liked to refer to himself as more than any other title. He referred to himself more uh, as the Son of Man than anything else. And I used to think Son of Man, that just meant he was born in the human race, but it's a term of deity, divinity. And it refers back to a prophetic revelation that was given to Daniel the prophet in the Old Testament. I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Turn with me in your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. 
And this is where Daniel was given a vision, much like uh, John received centuries later on the island of Patmos. And uh, Daniel the prophet had the vision of the Ancient of Days. And that whole chapter concerns that. But I want to look at just verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Notice verse 14. There was given to him to whom the Son of Man that Daniel saw and that later John saw, there was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Christ's church is Christ's kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Christ said to Peter, and the other disciples. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, that's Christ. another way of saying, my kingdom shall never be destroyed. The gates of hell shall never prevail against it. The kingdoms and empires of men shall rise and fall, and they do rise and fall. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord will never end. John's original readers needed to know that in a time of trial and and tribulation. And the Lord's churches today need to know and remember that too. That the empires and the kingdoms of men rise up, they have their day in the stage of history and they fall. Sometimes they fall from within. They fall. But the Lord's church goes on. His kingdom goes on. There are, very, there are several verses of Scripture that I think, um, I think of as stabilizing truths for troubled times. And one of them, I'm just going to recite it, but it's Hebrews 13.8, in case you want to jot it down. Hebrews 13.8 I find very stabilizing where the apostle wrote, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Times change. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. People come and people go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And another one of those stabilizing truths is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. At least it's very stabilizing for me and has been for a long time. In Philippians 3.20, the apostle says, For our citizenship is in heaven, 
from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship is. It's in heaven. We have a temporal citizenship to a country here on earth. And it has been a great country. It's been a great nation, and I love it. How much longer will it last? I don't know. I don't know. We're living in a time of tremendous uncertainty, and although thankfully we don't feel too much of that here in Minot, North Dakota, and I pray we won't. But if you look out across some of the great cities of our country from coast to coast, you see a tremendous amount of uh, turmoil, a tremendous amount of crime going on, unpunished. Um, and it seems to metastasize like cancer from week to week. Just about every Saturday I tell my wife, I can't, you know, last week I said I don't think it'll get any worse, and then whew, the next week it does. You know, another city is upended and, and uh, roiling in violence, and, and they're even out into the suburbs and climbing up on people's roofs of their houses now. Uh, and, and it just seems like there's no stop to it. And you wonder, where is the law? Where is the order? And I'm glad I feel safe in Minot, North Dakota, but I do feel for people that live in places like uh, Rochester and Portland and New York City and L.A. and even now um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, which I've been through many times. Rather small city, but... Anyway, this is all going on out there, and we wonder, you know, what's what's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know. But our citizenship is in heaven, from where we also eagerly await for the Savior. Now, Paul didn't didn't say we're we're just waiting for Him. He says we eagerly are waiting for Him. We want to see Him. I pray every day, Lord, come. I long for the day when we see him face to face and we have the new heavens and the new earth and all of God's saved saints from all the nations are gathered together and they live together in righteousness and peace forever and ever and ever. The new heavens and the new earth. And that's our citizenship. That's what we're eagerly waiting for. Like Abraham We Christians are waiting for the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Near the end of Revelation, in chapter 21, John is given a vision of the end of history as we know it. There will be an end to history as we know it. And at the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, John is given that vision of the end of history. And what did he see? He was shown the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband. That's our true home. That's our ultimate home. That's what we eagerly anticipate. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not in too big of a hurry for that. I have, a, uh, especially younger people sometimes can feel I've got a long life to live. I've got my career planned out there. 
I'm going to do great things down here. And then after I get about 70, you know, really ancient, uh, and Christ can come back after I've had all my, all my fun. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I don't know if, if fun is the right word or not. Let's use the word joy, maybe. There is no, I mean, nothing that ever happens here on this earth even remotely starts to compare for the joy the everlasting joy that we will have in heaven as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to get over the fact that this earth is what matters. It doesn't. We're going to be there forever. No wonder Paul wrote in, uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 and following. These words, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, he, he didn't mean by that that you don't need to, you know, develop your talents, uh, become, quote, all that you can be, you know, here on earth. Do your best. Get married if you can. Raise a family. Provide. Uh, make money. Make all the money you can in an honest way. I told that to a group of inner city uh, welfare kids one time and they were shocked. It sounded sacrilegious to them that a preacher would tell them to go out and make all the money they can. I said, now wait a minute. you got to hear the rest of it. I said, make all the money you can in an honest way, the old-fashioned way you work for it. But I said, if you make all the money you can, you'll have money to give to take care of your family. You can provide for the needs of your family. And you can have money to give to other people who are in need. So there's nothing wrong with the money. It's the love of money that's the problem. And it is a big problem, too, the love of money. But anyway, Paul said, set your mind on things above. And another version says your affections. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died when you became a Christian at the moment of your conversion. You were buried with Christ and raised up to walk with Him. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us set our minds on things above. That's what that's what the Apostle John is... is uh, revealing to the people he's writing to in the book of Revelation. Yes, they're going through troubles, they're going through trials, they're going through tribulations. But he's reminding them to set their things, their hearts on things above and that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man whose kingdom will have no end. His dominion shall have no end. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And we need to know that too. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln, at a time when our country was riven by a great civil war, said, These are the times that try men's souls. The first century church members felt the same in their time while they were undergoing persecution for the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today in our country, there's something something of the same feeling among some of God's people as they observe the violence and the hatred uh, racking many of our cities. And then on top of that, there, and along with it, there's the COVID-19 scare. So these are the times that try many 
people's souls. It certainly seems like a time of danger. The year 1529 was a time of danger for Bible-believing Christians. And that is the year in which Martin Luther wrote his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And that's what the the, the uh, people that John's writing to, they needed to know that. Persecution is coming. Life is going to get hard. They're in tribulation. And we need today need to remember that same thing and make sure that we're a part of God's forever family, His, His everlasting kingdom, kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ as our King, our Lord, our Savior, as we look forward to His soon return. At least that's what I hope. I hope it is soon. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You that You have given us the blessed hope We thank you for Jesus Christ and his sovereignty as he reigns over his church, as he watches over and takes care of us. We thank you and praise you, O God, that he will build his church, his kingdom will never be destroyed, and that his truth is forever. And we thank you that you've uh, given to us to know these things and give us in our lives here on this earth the stability that Jesus himself had when he was here on this earth facing the cross for us. In his name we pray, amen.